listen to the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we'll be interviewing Jeff Pollock. Jeff is a real estate investor in the Bay Area and has been consistently earning seven figures a year by flipping homes with no employees and no overhead. He'll tell you his buying criteria and the way he finds his deals, and he'll even go over how to talk to potential sellers over the phone. And without further ado, here's Jeff. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Tell us like how long you've been in the business and what got you into real estate. Oh, uh, let's see. I has I have been in the business full time for just over six years. I was doing a little bit on the side, collecting out of state buy and hold properties for about a year before that. So that's 2011, really the end of 2011. Uh, so I guess that's really when I officially got into the business, very end of 2011. But I kind of got the the bug and the idea that this made a lot of sense many years before that, maybe 2004 or so, when I was approached by my in-laws to manage a couple of small apartment buildings they have in the Bay Area here that were kind of a wreck. Because uh, they had been living out of the country for a couple of years seated the property management over to a property manager and they got kind of come running to the ground. There's a six unit, and a 10 unit. They were probably three quarters vacant and uh slum lordy. And I was asked if I wanted to get them all fixed up and manage them. And I didn't really know any better. So I said, yes, while I was doing my day job on the side. And so I played general contractor, subbed everything out, did, Actually, I started doing a lot of the work myself before I convinced my father-in-law that that did not make any monetary sense for him and was a waste of my time as well. So then uh, after doing a lot of the work myself, subbed everything out, you know, remodeled everything, re-roofed, plumbed the whole damn thing for both buildings and uh, was doing my day job at the same time. But uh, it didn't take long before they were fixed up and rented out and you know, then I, I kind of started looking around and doing the math and said, you know, I remember telling my wife, I said, Hey, we have to, we have to be where your folks are someday. This whole making money while you sleep thing. Yeah. Property is spitting out money. I was like, yeah, this is a really good deal. What part of the Bay Area? Were and uh, let's see, one of them's in uh, Sunnyvale and one's in Santa Clara. Oh, perfect. Yeah, no, perfect. Yeah, exactly. It's just the, the benefit of, of location. They bought them in like the late, 70s very early 80s and then you know just waited for time to pass and for silicon valley to become silicon valley and here we are so it worked out you know it worked out real well and uh yeah so then i I thought about well how are we going to do this but at the time i didn't really fix and flipping scared me the numbers were big and i was just thinking in terms of buy and hold and cash flow which even back then didn't seem to pencil out in the bay area um so after reading a lot there weren't a whole lot of meetups or or anything like that around yet, but did some reading, did some surfing on the internet and, uh, you know, realized, okay, we've got to bust a move somehow. And that move came with buying a couple of turnkey out of state properties in Dallas, Fort Worth area and hatching a plan to 
eventually have this real estate thing being my uh, my emancipation from my day job. Nice. So then how'd you transition over from buying and holding to what you're doing now? Well, now I'm mostly, you know, my bread and butter is fixing and flipping basically. And I actually have sold quite a bit of the buy and hold portfolio. Not that it wouldn't have been a bad thing to keep them, but you know, I had a good run. I bought bought them at the bottom of those markets out in Dallas Fort Worth in the Atlanta metro area. I got them for below market. And, you know, I made good money in a relatively short time. So I've sold quite a few of those to to redeploy. But um, yeah, the transition, I guess, came, I had been working that day job and I was collecting buy and hold properties for cash flow. And I was under the belief, which now at the time, you know, now looking back, it's kind of funny, but at the time it made sense, I guess. I was thinking, well, if I can collect enough of these things for the cash flow to equal my after-tax take-home pay, I'm going to walk away. So I wasn't even being safe about it. You know, most people will say, well, I need to make 2X or 3X to leave my day job just to be safe. But I was just, I was ready to get the hell out. So just matching it on paper was good enough for me. But, you know, at the if you're realistic about the cost of those things, you know, in terms of CapEx and turnover costs and things like that, you know, you realize you've got to collect a lot of those single family homes to start equaling a, a six figure income, you know, that they, they, you really got to get dozens or hundreds of them at, uh, you know, two or 300 bucks a month cash flow, assuming that really even happens. So it started to become clear that that wasn't going to happen, but it wasn't until after I'd already collected quite a few of these things, maybe, I think we had maybe 20, 22 doors or something, mostly single family, triplex, couple duplexes. But then uh, this layoff happened at work in uh, the end of 2012. And so I figured I had to switch gears. So now I didn't have income. I couldn't really even collect the single family homes very easily anymore without being very creative. I mean, I still, I still bought quite a few more even after I didn't have my job. My wife was still working, but I had to be a lot more creative about it. But it was also obvious that it wasn't, this was not going to get me where I wanted to be. But I already had all the teams in place. I had all these people on the ground in Dallas, Fort Worth and in the Atlanta Metro. So, you know, I would keep the most cherry deals for myself, which really was just whichever ones I could buy through creative financing, fix up, refi, and have like no money into the deal afterward. Wow. Because I couldn't, I couldn't leave money in the deal, even if it looked amazing on paper. It just wasn't, you know, I wasn't bringing in my day job income anymore. So I couldn't park, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25, $30,000 into a, into a house, even if it looked like a good return on investment in the end. So everything that didn't match that criteria, then I started selling. And, and I remember what kind of launched it was this guy, buddy of mine I went to college with, who just by fate happens to live like five minutes from me now in San Carlos, you know, sitting out on his deck with him, having some drinks, him and his wife, he's asking me about my most recent real estate exploits. And I was telling him what I was buying, what I was doing. And he said, yeah, you know, Jeff, I don't know anything about this real estate stuff and I'm not real interested in learning it, but I do have money and I want to diversify. So maybe we can do business somehow. So I started selling turnkey properties. I sold some to him. I sold some to like ex-coworkers of mine and basically whoever I could convince to buy one. And in retrospect, those people all did real well because they the market, all those markets have gone up. They're all in good areas. Mm -hmm. So I made some money doing that. But uh, then maybe I did that for maybe a year, year and a half. And, and, and then it just kind of got old. It's tough to flip houses from 2,500 miles away. It's a lot of transactions. You have to do a ton of volume 
to start making real money. And you had a whole and team then, set up and everything or how did you do Yeah, it? I had all the teams. It was all good. I mean, at first it's like, you know, it, it didn't start off well. First I got, you know, I worked with bad people until I found good ones. I lost money working with the wrong people until I found the good ones. But it was funny because really by the time I, I had it kind of dialed in, I was, I, I'd gotten tired of doing it. It just stopped making sense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, the, uh, that whole fear of, oh my God, the Bay Area, ooh, the numbers are so big flipping houses. It went, you know, went from that to, you know, this is my backyard. I know more people. I have more knowledge and confidence and experience now. I'm going to start flipping in my backyard. I'm going to stop doing this penny ante stuff out of stakes. It's kind of a hassle even when it's going well. It's just a lot of, it's a lot of turns of the wheel. Right. Okay. So how do you get started going out and purchasing properties and flipping them here? Like how did you get connection and oh. everything? Oh yeah, here. So, you know, it's, there was a guy who kind of pushed me over, which was, it worked out pretty well in retrospect is uh, a mutual friend introduced me to this guy who had his, on the surface, a similar story as a guy who had, had a job he didn't necessarily want to be doing. He was doing some consulting, engineering stuff. And he also was flipping houses out of state in Indiana at the time. And he had told this mutual friend that he was thinking about wanting to flip here locally, but he kind of wanted a partner because again, there's some fear factor, risk, big numbers and all that. So he connected us and this guy asked, Hey, you want to flip houses locally? And I said, yeah, sure. Cause if I'm going to do this in another market, it can't be out of state again. That's a hassle. I want to ratchet that stuff down. So sure. Let's flip houses here locally. That'll, that'll be good. So yeah, we started doing it together and, and, you know, it's just a good way to de-risk things. It's, it just seems a lot less scary. They're big numbers, but you just think, well, heck, at least I've got a partner. It's, it just seems infinitely more risky or less risky rather. So that was more palatable and it, you know, it went well for a while. Uh, we ended up going our separate ways after about a year or so, but um, it was, that, that was, it was a good way to get started. He and I started a meetup together too, which was helpful just for building the network real fast. Have I ever met him or does he not show up to your meetups anymore? trying to think if you yeah he hasn't been there since we went our separate ways but probably for the first you know that that meetup's been going on i think this past spring was like four years wow so it was over four and a half years and he was there for the first year probably i guess mm -hmm. can't remember how early you were coming though 2016 so i probably didn't see him mm -hmm. yeah you must you missed him then mm. so all this happened what this is like 2013 right now that you're just flipping homes so you have a partner and you're starting your meetup group yeah so let's i'm trying to think now because for yeah the, that layoff came in 2012 the end of 2012 and actually for you know a good part of 2013 i was still really adding properties out of state so it may have been um early uh 2014 that that yeah that i started doing stuff locally cool so like, why did you decide yeah. to host a meetup group in the first place? Well, I think, you know, like I said, the biggest thing was, hey, this is just a really good way to, to turbocharge your, your network real fast. And for you know, whatever it's worth, right or wrong, when you're standing in front of a room of people, you're an authority. At least that's how you're perceived, right? Whether, right? whether it's true or not. Uh, you're standing in the front and, you know, somebody once told me, real estate once told me that, you know, to be an expert on something, you only have to know just, you know, teeny little bit more than the person you're talking to <laughs> and you're the expert. And you kind of, uh, 
you know, maybe it's a fake until you make it kind of thing. You grow into it, I, I suppose. And, you know, you've got to put this thing on, at least the way I was running it. You got to find people to speak every month and you learn something from everybody you brought, bring in. And then you can kind of be selfish about it and say, well, I'm going to just bring people talking about things that I want to know about, which I can do because I'm running the club <laughs> as long as I think it's useful for people. And uh, yeah, so, but the biggest thing was building the network real fast, figured, hey, this will be a good way to uh, to find deals potentially, to find money, to fund those deals. And, you know, it's, it's, it worked out, it's worked out pretty well. So like from hosting the meetup, you were able to get deals, you were able to get new sources of money and basically- Yeah, definitely. Your Cer goals, certainly right? finding the money was, was the, is probably the biggest thing that was, you know, that, that came out of the meetup is being able to find private money. Um, and also, you know, the whole, I've, and I've had people ask me this before. They said, well, you know, the idea, boy, you run this meetup and you get deals. And I said, well, you know, a lot of what you get is not, you know, it's garbage. You hear people pitching a lot of stuff or people, you know, offering you things, but a lot of it doesn't really make sense. Or at least, you know, for me, I know there are deals going on. Um, but, and, and I guess a lot of them in retrospect that I probably passed on, I would have done very well on if I wasn't being so conservative, um, but the whole, you know, the direct, Hey, someone walks up to me and says, here is a deal. Do you want to do it? There's really only been a couple instances of that. Although, uh, one of them was, you know, amazing and, and made running the whole thing worthwhile just by itself. But mo well, most of the other connections are really, uh, they're more circuitous. It's hard to draw a direct line to, Oh, I got that deal from this person who walked up and asked me about it or offered it to me. It's more like, well, if I didn't run the meetup, I wouldn't have met this person who introduced me to that person who brought me in on this deal or introduced me to that agent or this contractor, what, what have you. Right. So, so it's always worth no it. No less do valuable, things. but it's yeah. good. Cool. Is that deal that you're talking about the Palo Alto deal that you did last year? Yeah, that is the Palo Alto okay. deal. Yeah. Cool. You want to talk yeah, about that, that one? A couple, couple of years ago now. Yeah. You know, that was funny. It was actually, um, it was, there's a guy who's coming to my meetup and he was an agent and an investor as well. And he sent, he sent this, this agent my way, this agent had pitched him the deal, some out of town, I think he was a San Jose agent who got this listing in Palo Alto, pitched it to this guy who was an agent investor. He passed on it, sent it my way. I was immediately skeptical because I knew that this guy was an agent and investor and I'd already passed on it. And plus the numbers that they were, you know, bandying about, about what it was going to cost. And it seemed crazy. And I was like, I, I don't know. And, and so I just kind of almost on a lark, I really didn't expect to get the, get the deal. I just threw a number that like, yeah, whatever they're, I'm not going to get this. This guy's not going to work with me on this, but this is my number. So, you know, whatever. And I figured that was the end of it, but then he kept coming back and asking, well, can you do this? Can you do that? And I said, no, that's it here's my number. This is what I can do. And I kept thinking, this is the end of it. I'm not going to hear from the guy again, but obviously he didn't have much of a buyer's list because he kept coming back to me. And so then, you know, by then I was thinking about it more and I was without seeing the house or anything, but I was realizing, boy, you know, I've, I've done, I haven't done a ton of deals locally at this point, but I know that the numbers that they're saying the rehab is going to cost are crazy. They're totally overestimating the rehab. So it's probably not, the numbers are better than they think. And then, you know, talked, I was, you know, in retrospect, it was funny when it came back to me, it was one of those, okay, hey, if you, I'll give you your number, but you have to write, like, write the second. And then it was like, holy 
crap, this is real now. I never even thought this was going to come back to me. I've got these other deals going on, and I don't even know if I can do this, even though I threw out that crazy number. Uh, and so then it got real, and I, I thought, well, who? what can I do? Who? I got to bring somebody in to make sure that this, I, I can really do this. And also now, you know, double check that it makes sense. So, you know, Jason, I called Jason up and I knew he used to live in Palo Alto and done deals there, ran it by him. He said, oh yeah, this makes sense all day long. Let's go see it right now and get earnest money in and get this under contract a second. And, you know, a couple hours later, we were there at the house and Jason wrote an earnest money check on the hood of the car. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so that was that. So that that one, yeah, but that is that is the most direct deal. And it was a pretty, it was a good one. And then how did you decide, like a, oh, I'm going to ask for footage instead of just, oh, I'm going to just quickly turn it. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? Everybody was looking at it and they were looking at it this way too initially of, oh, gee, it's this tiny, crappy little house and, and on a lot that's not huge, but boy, you you know, probably should add square footage. And, um, you know, a year earlier, I guess it would have seemed like a no brainer to add square footage in retrospect. It was a no brainer to add square footage even then, but a lot of people were thinking, oh, the party's almost over. Who wants to do something that big? It's a lot of exposure and turns out it wasn't, and it would have made sense. But, you know, when we walked it and looked at it, it was just, you know, one of those things when you look at the market and you, you know, that that area, you just realize, well, gosh, there's just nothing. I think we got it. Got it for 1.6, I think. And, you know, there was nothing that had sold there for less than like 1.8. I mean, things that you could push over, you know, or a strong breeze could push down (laughs) for 1.8. So obviously it made sense. And again, it didn't seem at the time to make sense to have a long project where you're adding square footage. In retrospect, that was a mistake. But at the time, it didn't seem to make sense. So we're just thinking, let's just pretty it up as best we can and and get it back on the market and again that you know that worked out real well you can't you can't argue it's like a four hundred thousand dollar gain in three months or something so yeah what was your final sell price uh i think it sold for like 2.25 nice congratulations yeah (laughs) we put like one hundred and fifty thousand into it or something Okay, so you didn't add, you did not add square footage for that one, right? You just pretty up. No, we didn't add any square. We didn't add square footage. I mean, it needed everything. It needed every surface touched. Um, And I don't even think actually what it wasn't a hundred and I think it was like it was less than that. I think it was under a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, one fifty sounds like a lot for that small house. No, it wasn't that much. No, it wasn't. I think it was like eighty something. Okay, cool, nice. Yeah, it was great. Congrats. So, how are you getting like talk about your deal flow now? Like, how are you usually getting deals and uh, there's a part about financing too. But yeah, go ahead and talk about how you're getting deals now. Uh, so how I'm getting deals now. So, you know, a few methods. Primarily, uh, I'm getting deals by direct mail. Those are always my best deals. And, you know, whether it's going to be direct mail or anything else, you're going to get better deals just working directly, talking to an owner across the kitchen table. Uh, so for me, direct mail and... It's it's just a numbers game, you know. It's gotten tough. The response rate is low, but sure. it's 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 relatively cheap to add. You know, it's cheap and easy to send a lot of mail. So, so that's what I what I do. What's mostly. your what's your budget, and how often do you hit the same house? Uh, my budget should be higher, but uh, I, I spend maybe. I guess it's really kind of mail pieces, and the budget depends on, you know, because a postcard is going to be like half the price of a a handwritten or hand address letter, oh. but you know, I'll maybe send like 6,000, 7,000 pieces a month or so. 
Okay. Um, I, I should send more. There's no reason not to send more. And I hit the same people every three months, four times a year. I'll hit people. Okay. I'll just recycle the list, refresh it up a bit. And, and I'll just hit them until they either sell to me or sell to someone else or are, are, are very irate about getting my mail. And then I will, I will make an effort to take them off my list, but uh, sometimes it doesn't work out real well. And, and they contact me again, very angry because they've asked me repeatedly to take them off the list, but you know, such is life. You know, sometimes they get so mad at me. They only tell me their address, so I can't take them off. Like I have no idea who they are. Right. I know that's so funny. I've had it's conversations like, okay. like that with people. They're just so irate and they're just screaming, take me off list. I said, okay, but you know, I need your address. I'm not giving you anything. You know, my address, you mailed to me already. You know, my address. And it's like, you know, you're not a rare snowflake. You're not the only person I've mailed to. That's and I don't right. know your address. That's right. So if you want to be off the list and, and yeah, yeah, they hang off, they won't give it to me. So what yeah. are you going to do? So yeah, those are, that's the bulk of my deals. Those are the best ones. I also get some deals from agents periodically. Uh, but they're invariably not as fat as the ones I get from uh, direct mail. And, you know, I've get deals from the network too. You know, it's, it didn't I'm trying to think, I don't think it happened in 2018, but for like the three years before that, every freaking year from like some random, you know, some friend of mine would connect me with somebody and give me a deal that was like this amazing deal. It's kind of hoping that was, was going to be a once a year thing, but it didn't happen in 2018. Okay, for sure. Um, so what about your buying criteria? How do you decide, okay, I'm going to move forward with this deal or nah, it's not good enough for me? Yeah, I do. Uh, some people might say I'm a little uh, wishy-washy with my criteria. I don't, have, I don't have a line in the sand or anything. I'm not one of those people who says, oh, I need to buy for 70% of ARV, less repairs. And if it doesn't meet that, I'm not buying. I mean, I have... You know, I've got a very quick and dirty spreadsheet I'll plug numbers into. And the first hurdle that I really want to see it pass is it's got to be, I've got to net at least, at least 10% of the ARV. So if it's a million dollar ARV, I have got to net $100,000 after accounting for every expense, I mean, everything like down to utilities holding costs, agents fees, everything. Um, now, having said that, if it's less than a hundred thousand or less, ARV is less than a million, I still need to get at least a hundred thousand, even if like ARV is 700, right? It's still there. The, the gain's got to be, the net has to be a hundred thousand. And if it's, uh, you know, so 1.5 mil, it's got to be 150, but, but then, you know, I find that I'm not, that, that's sort of the, the initial line of demarcation, but usually I, even around that, I'm feeling a little edgy. So I kind of want it to be better than that. And I'm also, I'm really conservative with my numbers. So, you know, that 10% bar, if I'm thinking, oh gosh, the comps are 1.6 to 1.8, I'm going to run my numbers on 1.6. Okay. And, uh, but there, are, there's a lot of other things that go into it. You know, if it's, if it's, if, if it's going to be some in and out or like that, project in palo alto okay it's like midtown palo alto it's like the cheapest freaking thing you can buy in palo alto people are dying to buy something there and it is a relatively easy rehab i mean that worked out great but that is an example of something where i might think uh okay maybe it doesn't have to be that 10 percent or 12 percent or whatever because it's it's practically sold before i even buy it i mean it's going to be there's no risk i'm going to be in and out of it whereas it's something where i'm in 
Menlo Park and I'm adding square footage. And I know that they're a pain in the ass to deal with for the permits and they're real slow and I'm going to be into it for God knows how long. It has to be more than that because I'm exposed to more risk because of the time. And also think in terms of when, when am I going to, when do I expect to hit the market? You know, if I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm going to be done this in whatever, four months, and I'm going to hit the market in March, that's a lot different than, well, I'm going to be done this in four months, and I'm going to hit the market in late October, and I probably shouldn't even list it until February. Yep. Yep. So, you know, all that will, I, I guess, so I have that first pass, it has to hit, but then I'll kind of weigh the risks and the time frames and adjust accordingly in terms of what kind of gain I think is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I was wondering if we could do an exercise. So how you probably sure. get phone calls like every day because you're sending out so much direct mail. So you're probably a pro. Not really. No, really? no, I don't. You, you don't send a lot of mail. I mean, I six or 7,000 in this area. Nah, I don't get, I don't get phone calls every day. Um, they might come in a few bunches, but yeah, the response rate is like a fraction of a percent. So it's not sure. as many calls as you might think. So I personally have a problem with phone calls. I guess maybe uh-huh. my scripts aren't good enough. I was wondering if we could do a quick exercise. If we could pretend that I'm calling you and I'm a seller. Uh-huh. Uh, sure. Sure. All right. So ring, ring, ring. Hello, this is Jeff. Hi. Uh, you want to buy my house? Uh, possibly. Do you have a, a few minutes to, to chat? I'd like to get a little more information about it. Okay. Uh, so first, what's the address? Oh, don't you know my address? Well, I mail to a lot of people, so you have me as a, at a disadvantage here. I do not know your address, so if you could provide it, that would be great. Okay. My address is blah, 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 Main Street in Palo Alto. Blah, 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 Main Street, Palo Alto. Okay. All right. So I just pulled it up, but um, you know, sometimes the, uh, the public records are not entirely accurate. So if you could confirm a few things for me, you know, how many bedrooms and bathrooms does it have? Uh, it's like three bedrooms and two bathrooms. Three, two. Okay. What's the square footage? Uh, 1,400 square feet. 1,400. Okay. Do you know approximately what the size of the lot is? Mm, 6,000. 6,000? Okay. Okay. Got it. And how long you've lived in the house? We've been there for about 30 years now. 30 years. Yes. Okay. So is it, uh, you own it free and clear? We refinanced the property about five years ago. Five years ago. Okay. So do you know uh, what the approximate balance is? Uh, let's say about 500,000 of mortgage left. 500 mortgage left. Okay. Got it. Got it. And uh, when was the last time anything was updated, the kitchen, bathrooms, that sort of thing? Oh, the whole place needs to be fixed up. Okay. So it's, it's kind of lived in and just needs, everything needs to be upgraded. Right. Got it. Do you know, uh, what about like the mechanicals? The, does it have uh, AC? Uh, it does not does not furnace do you know how old the furnace is i do not but it works fine works fine okay what about the roof do you know when you last replaced the roof uh don't recall don't recall okay okay no problem and what's uh i mean if you were going to sell if we did end up coming to terms what are what's your time frame like are you in this uh sort of get it done yesterday oh uh, you know i just got your letter in the mail and i was just thinking about moving on to somewhere in arizona so I figure I'd give you guys a call first before I call an agent to put on the market. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, all right. So then your, your ultimate goal is, you know, you're thinking about selling. 
you're, yeah, you're we're kind of just trying to get pretty a, serious about selling. We're trying to get a pulse on the market, see what our house is worth, and if it's worth it, we'll sell it. If not, then we just hold on to it and live here for longer. Okay, got it. And so, what's uh, what's your schedule like? Are you you're living in the house now? I presume, right? That's right. Right. Okay. And what? So, what's your schedule like? So, I'd like to I'd love to be able to see the house maybe uh, tomorrow. Okay. Uh, Ten or maybe two in the afternoon or something. Ten's fine. Okay. Perfect. So I will see you at 10 o'clock. You've got my number. I have your number. If anything changes uh, for either of us, let's just be in touch. But uh, let's assume 10 a.m. tomorrow. Cool. All right. Thank you. All right. No worries. See you tomorrow. Cool. So during that whole time, obviously, you didn't pull up the records because you're maybe out walking or in the car with your family. Yeah, maybe. I mean, but I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not going to bullshit people. If I'm out and about and I can't pull anything up, I will just, it's even easier that way. Just say, listen, I'm not, I'm driving or I'm out with my kids or whatever. I can't pull this stuff up. And uh, it just gives me an excuse to ask them for everything. But even if I'm in front of the computer, I'll do the same thing. Because a lot of times I find that the the tax records are are wrong or they've added stuff and it's not that it's good to know they add things and it's not permitted that's not gonna be in the tax records but they'll tell you that it's there and then you find out oh you did all this wonky stuff to the house that's not permitted that's good to know too um but you know a lot of times uh and again i don't i kind of do phone calls almost like the way i i analyze deals and maybe it's not satisfying to some people would just have a conniption if they hear how i do business in some ways but a lot of it, I'll, I'll just go by feel. I'm pretty good on the phone. I used to buy houses from people across the country. I did the whole deal over the phone. I never even saw the house. Mm. So I got, I got good at building rapport with people and convincing them to, to sell me their house for you know, usually below market. Now, it's, obviously, it's hard to do unless someone needs to do it. They've, you're serving some kind of a need. But I got used to talking to people over the phone. But so I can get a, I get a good feel for, for people. And I know real quickly whether someone's wasting my time and I'm going to want to get off the phone with them faster than they want to get off with me. Cause I don't, I don't want to waste time with them. Gotcha. Uh, but if I, you know, I will try to ask some basic questions like that. Uh, I'll try to find out if there's anything really wonky and, but the key is trying to get to the house, you know, because also people aren't going to tell you, they're more likely to be honest with you face to face. They're not going to lie to you as readily. Mm-hmm. And you, it's, it is easier, no matter how good you are on the phone, it's, it's easier to build a rapport face to face. So certainly if it's, you know, I only market within like a half hour of my house, so nothing's going to be far away. So I'm willing to go meet anybody to talk to them and see their house if they're going to let me. And that's, probably the easy that's the easiest thing to do because you're going to also find out if it's a weird layout or whatever it's you know the square footage and bedrooms and bathrooms does not always tell the story ultimately it's best to get there anyway so you know i may get just enough info to do a little due diligence at first before i walk you know into their house but i really want to just get into the house and i want to talk to them face to face right that's just funny because when i tried this conversation i wanted to try to get you to give me a number over the phone because that's what so many people have been trying to get me to do. Like, you just give me a number, give me a number. And then, uh, but somehow by talking to you, you made me feel so comfortable that I for- totally forgot that I want a number from you. And I agreed <laughs> to let you come to my house. And I was like, oh, how do you do that? <laughs> like, I guess that's with experience because <laughs> it was, yeah, it was really good. And I, I find that well, challenging myself. Like, I, I know that on the phone, I sound very uh, skeptical and hesitant sometimes. So 
they can they can hear that fear, you know. So what are you skeptical of on the phone? I mean, just I I don't know what to say sometimes. Like I asked you the hard question, like, hey, I want you. Do you want to buy my house? And at first, I'm like, I don't know what house you're talking about, and I didn't know how to phrase it. As funny as it may seem, I just have to listen to this podcast over and over again and just copy what you said. Got it. <laughs> you have a script though. I mean, because I have a script. I used to start with a script too, and you know, you you got your basic info you want to cover ideally, but uh, you know, if you're really if you're you think you're bad on the phone there are a couple tactics one is practice it i mean most sure. people aren't good at first and you just practice and you get better at it it's simple as that uh but another thing is to just just get to their house you know just have the phone call be a a a, a launching point to get to their house and get in front of them right don't even go out of your way don't go you know don't bend over backwards to collect a ton of information now, obviously if you know, they're like, hey, you called me, you're the blah, 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 you know all about my house, and or they, or they throw some crazy number at you. You know, you get a feel for people who aren't serious, and they just, they wanted an appraisal or something, or they don't really want to sell, but they're tire kickers. You know, maybe if those people are five minutes away, sure, you go to their house and plant a seed, and maybe you get something six months later. But, you know, outside of those few people who it's really clear off the bat, they're jerking your chain, just just try to use the phone call as a way to get to their house. Yep, makes sense. Let's move on to another topic. What kind of advice would you give for newer investors who want to get in the business or who want to be just like you sometime in the future? Oh, I'd say, you know, it's 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 kind of a canned answer. Everybody gives it's cliche, but you know, you got to, uh, you got to do your due diligence and everything, but can't, uh, you got to take action at some point too. And, you know, it can be scary. And one way, you know, I got around that was I'll, I'll do this out of state because the numbers are less scary, right? You, you literally subtract a zero. It's less scary. If you screw up, it's not that big of a deal. And so that, you know, that kind of helped me ease into it. And, you know, it made sense at the time, I guess, looking back, probably would have been great at that same exact time to just start doing this locally. But, you know, it's easy to say that. 2020. So, you know, if someone is really wanting to get in, they want to do it locally. Uh, getting a partner is really good, right? Because not only does that reduce the risk, but ideally you're partnering with somebody who knows something. It doesn't, it's not quite as helpful as if you've got someone who's, who is just as clueless as you are, but even that's better than just being on your own, I think. Um, but yeah, take action. Uh, maybe get maybe partner with somebody for the first one and and you know once you it's the the first one's the hardest one mm -hmm. and after that it's uh it's just like anything else in life it's just another thing you've done already it's no big deal so what do you expect them to do like go to a meetup and find a partner there and then just start saying direct mail or cold call people yeah well you know going to the meetups is good because you're going to get education too you're going to talk to people who've done it all before. So, you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. There's no, there are no secrets in real estate. Some people pretend there are secrets or they act like there are secrets. There are no secrets. You're going to, there are books written about how you do this. There are web sites devoted to it. There are podcasts like this one where people will spill their quote secrets. Uh, if anything, it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's too much information out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, lack of knowledge isn't a problem. It's easy to get the knowledge. And it's also easy to get it directly from people face to face, whether it's at meetups or meeting people at meetups and taking them out to lunch or coffee or, you know, beers or whatever. They'll, they'll tell you all that they know. And then you really just have to take action. Right. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's simple. It's not easy, 
if it was easy, everybody would do it, but it's not rocket science either. It's pretty simple. I mean, I could, I just told you, you know, any new person, I could tell them in five sentences how to do what I'm doing. Simple. It's not easy though. Right. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of guts, especially if sometimes you want to quit, but the only difference is you guys don't quit. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's, um, if you, you, you know, you can't fail if you don't quit and, and you have to have, um, I, you know, you have to have enough pain, right. And whether it's your day job that you can't stand or not being able to buy some car you want or whatever, right. uh, the, the, the pain of that just has to be greater than the, the, uh, the discomfort you feel launching yourself into, you know, trying to do a real estate deal. It's hmm. true. All right, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, how can people get no worries, in contact Sean. with you? Oh, I'm pretty easy to find. Best number to reach me at is 650-533-8534. And uh, email address is J as in Jeff Pollock, P-O-L-L-A-C-K at tridentequitygroup.com. Okay. Do you have a website where you have pictures of your projects that people can look at? No, I actually don't. I mean, I've got a marketing website. It's really just, uh, it's for my would-be buyers to to look up and see what I'm offering and all that. But um, no, I don't really have a website or blog or anything with uh, projects I'm doing or done. I mean, the closest that I get to that is blasting that sort of stuff out before and after pictures and things anytime I sell something. Mm-hmm. And you're basically um, a one-man so show too, out, but... right? You don't have employees or... No, I don't. That's, um, yeah, that's kind of one of the things I want to accomplish is I don't have employees. I don't really want, I don't want to be responsible for, for employees. And, you know, if I want to take off, I want to be able to just take off and, and, you know, I have the luxury of, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It's hard to get in the business here, but once you can get it, you prime the pump and it's going, you know, I don't, I don't need to do a hundred deals a year to do real well in this business in this area. Right. I can do a handful of deals. How many do you do a year? um, How many do I do a year? You know, I've got some, especially now some bigger ones that have sort of spanning uh, more than one year. But uh, I mean, at any given time, I'm at various stages, whether it's, oh, here, I just got under contract all the way to, hey, this is on the market. Um, I, I may be doing about... I don't know, six a year, maybe. That's all it takes. Give huh? or take. Nice. Yeah, that's really all it, it takes. I mean, again, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of conservative with my numbers. So, so the ones that I do end up being really big deals. I mean, I've, I've got, knock on wood. I don't know how long it'll last, but I kind of have a streak going back about three years where it seems my average deal, the average net is like two hundred and twenty-five thousand. Wow. So, so you're hitting the seven-figure mark. Do a ton. Yeah, yeah, I have been. Congratulations. I have been. Thanks. And um, yeah, this year is pretty good. 2019, uh, you know, just for the stuff I've, I've got right now, if I don't do another deal, I'll hit that mark. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty, that's good. I've got, I've got like six things going on the market next month. So it's going to be a big, a big spring, I hope. And have you noticed the uptick in the market this past couple of weeks? Yeah, I think it's picking up a bit which is good because I was counting on that. <laughs> it's, good, something, <laughs> it's something that got on the market. Yeah, I think we talked about this. I had yes, that did. Redwood City project that went on the market for, I don't know, two weeks in early November before I yanked it. And 
Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, I'm just paying, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just spilling money into it right now and hoping that, oh, I hope this makes sense because it's got to sell for 25,000 more just for me to, you know, make up the extra holding costs. So that's going to go back on the market after the Super Bowl. Um, and yeah, so I've got a lot of stuff that's going on the market in February, March. So, uh, oh, really? You won't even wait. It. You won't even just put on the market like now in January. You're going to wait. Till no, after? I'm not going to put it on the market now, you know, because the figure, um, you know, you'll lose whether I don't know whether you'll lose it, but you know, people go out of town for, uh, Martin Luther King weekend. Sure. It's coming right up. I uh, don't necessarily want to be listing then. And then Super Bowl weekend. Again, there are a lot of people who are not out and about looking at houses, certainly not that Sunday. Uh, is it like so, the first and second? Is that Super Bowl weekend? Yeah, it's the first weekend. So, yeah, I mean, I've got stuff that house uh, I've got on Central is going to go on the market February 4th. Oh, cool. Like at Monday or Tuesday or something right after the Super Bowl. Uh, but even now, things are seem to be picking up a bit. So it's it's good. Good. I hope so, too. I have one coming up very soon yeah, I, in Santa Clara. So throw that one on the market. Yeah, I know. We talked about it. No, it's got to be. It's got to be good for both of us. Hopefully. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries, Sean. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking. It's a pleasure. It's good fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right, cool. Hope you guys all learned a lot from this past episode. I definitely did. And here are some key takeaways that I got. Seems like out-of-state investing is a waste of time, especially if you can do it here. Flipping in your backyard is a lot easier. It's the same deal. It just has an extra zero at the end, so it's a little bit scarier. Meetups are great because you can bring the people that you want to hear from to teach your crowd and also turbocharges your network because as a leader of a meetup group, you become an authority figure just by knowing a little bit more than everybody else. His buy criteria is he wants 10% of ARV as a profit and $100,000 minimum as profit. He also taught me how to get better on the phone. So I'll practice that on my own. And it's cool that he also has no employees. So Jeff, it was definitely a pleasure to have you on this podcast and I hope to see you around sometime soon. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and will help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.